Ticats Audio Network. This is the CFL This Week with Bubba O'Neill. 21 weeks of wins and losses have been tabulated, and now 16s have been nominated for the winner. Go home second season in the CFL. What lies ahead? What's the future of those who have been left behind? Let's discuss. This is the CFL This Week podcast on the Ticats Audio Network. Good day, Three Down Football fans. I'm host Bubba O'Neill, and lining up alongside me, he's one of the best in the business when it comes to bringing the CFL to the forefront through the power of print. From Canadian Press, he is Dan Ralph. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. Hey, from the Ticats Audio Network, it's the sound of the surging, surging Ticats. Welcome, RJ Broadhead. Hey, Bubba. You know, and speaking of voices, he calls games on the CFL on TSN, and he's also the pilot of Canadian Football Perspective. Marshall Ferguson, all of us appreciate your time. Just try not to crash the plane. That's my job. Just, just keep it, keep it above, keep it above land. That's all that matters, right? Okay, Fox, lots to talk about. So let's chop it up. We'll start with you, Dan, right off the top. Looking at those Hamilton Tiger Cats, two quarterback system, I guess in essence, three quarterback system used in their regular season finale and that victory in Ottawa. But there was some interesting things that we did see. So I'll ask you this question in terms of quarterback play. Who gives the Tiger Cats their best chance to win the E semifinal at Montreal? Dane Evans, Matthew Schiltz, or a combination of both? A uh, combination of both. I think uh, I think Dane starts, but I think he has a very short leash because it's playoff time, and um, you don't have the luxury of being able to wait a quarter because if you do, then you find yourself behind even more possibly. So no, I think I think it's Dane starts, but but Matt comes in um, at at the first sign of trouble. Marshall, you know a little bit about quarterbacking. <laughs> <laughs> Your thoughts? I mean, it has been an up and down season for both men. Yeah, no doubt. I uh, My overarching thought on this is that it is both, but it's less so in the sense that Dan is talking about where it's a short leash. Like, I don't view this as Masoli going into the East Final last year in Toronto, where if he's not showing it, you got to pull him. I view this more as Schiltz has real value to Hamilton's offense. Uh, and I, I honestly have been impressed with his ability to throw the football this year. It's been better than I thought that it would be when they signed him in free agency. But I, for me, it's... 80% of the snaps, I think, is the number that I would say should go to Dane. 20% should be allotted, I would think, to Schultz. And of those 20%, I think about 75% of them, so maybe like you know, 15 maximum percent of the snaps total in the game, should be Schultz run game. Because it's worked against Montreal earlier this year, and he can also play off of that because you know Condell's going to have something special in the game plan in a playoff game on the road whether it's the double pass stuff, two quarterbacks in the ball game, uh, you know, a reverse to Schultz where then he can throw or whatever it is. And I just feel like Dane is going to be the one that's actually going to win or lose the football game for them. But Schultz has to be involved because he does add value to the team. RJ, that's been sort of the scenario that has worked, I think, in the whatever victories have come, except for the time where Dane Evans was injured, um, all three guys involved. Yeah, and it, it's it's always better to have two number ones than no number ones. So it's it's a good problem to have, and there's no doubt the coaching staff is discussing it. I do agree with Dan and Marshall that Dane Evans will start. However, it does depend on his health, and we're not going to – we all know Coach O. We're not going to know about Dane's exact health until closer to Sunday, but that thumb was heavily wrapped. He was seemingly favoring it at times during that game. But he's played in the playoffs. He's played in a great cup. He knows how to win the big games. 
But Matt Schiltz has proven he can start. He makes good decisions. He plays fast. There's a lot to like. And no Tim White last week, so not having him in there. And there, you can't put too much stock on last week's game, but it was good for Matt Schiltz because he was gone for about two months. And he got a chance to go in and prove that if needed, he is available. So my guess is if Dane Evans is healthy, he's the starter again. If it's not going well, I don't think Coach O, we know Coach O won't hesitate to go to Matt Schultz. And pretty interesting where Matt Schultz was the starting quarterback for the Tiger Cats in their only win against the Argos. And he lost to Montreal by a point in Montreal as the starting quarterback on a last play, David Cote, 48-yard field goal. Mm -hmm. And he's scored in the first quarter of every game that he started, a field goal and a, a couple of touchdowns. So when you look at the opponents that the Tiger Cats have to beat, Matt Schiltz has had success against the Argos and Montreal. Um, and the one win against Montreal that the, the Tiger Cats had, they it was almost a split between Dane Evans and Matt Schiltz. We saw both guys. So... To answer your question, I think Dane Evans, if healthy, does get the start, but I would not be surprised to see Matt Schultz. You know, and it's interesting. I've had a, someone, he was a fan, I'll say, that tell me this, Dan, and tell me what you think about this. That when the Tiger Cats offense, at least this year, I'm not going to talk about last year because last year was a different scenario. At least this year, when Matthew Schultz is running the offense, there seems to be a calmness about it. But when Dane is running the offense, there seems to be a wildness to it. And I think that's based on the a lot of those early season turnovers. Your thoughts? Hmm. Um, you know, I just think when when Dane's in there, there's always the big play. I think he he'll go downfield. He's not he's not afraid to go downfield. He will go downfield and they will go downfield with him. Maybe with Matt, it's more controlled, maybe it's more contrived, maybe it's more of a um, as Marshall had said, you know, that there's more of a run, more uh, an emphasis to it. I, I don't know. I, that's interesting. I hadn't really looked at it that way. Um, but I do know that, I mean, when there's a ball to be thrown downfield, Dane, Dane's not afraid to do it. And um, and that's what I'm wondering with on this weekend, if his thumb is bothering him and he can't grip the ball right, <clears throat> excuse me, then maybe he can't throw the deep ball and, and maybe – uh, you know, that's what I mean by a short leash, not short leash by the fact that he's not going to play well, but a short leash, the combination of that. And if that thumb bothers him, but yeah, that's interesting. I mean, uh, I, maybe I could see that. I could see it. Cause I do know that they, they do like to go downfield with, with Dane. He's not afraid to, to chuck it downfield. And I think um, Matt has the arm to do it, but I think it's more of a controlled offense. So, you know, your, your fan probably is bang on. Marshall, is that which is, which is the better way to attack the the Alouettes uh, secondary? I would I would challenge them vertically. I was just pulling the numbers here really quick. The snaps that Dane has taken this year, they've been sixty nine percent called pass plays, and for Schiltz, it's been sixty five percent. So there's not a huge split between those two. It's it's closer than people think, and a lot of that plays in because. Um, you know, when Schultz got dinged, uh, he was out for a little while, took away the run game package, which he was just kind of being kind of interspersed with. And then also, as RJ talked about in Montreal on the road, like he came out and threw the ball all over the place and played at a really high level. So uh, I think when I look at, you know, doing the Montreal Toronto game this past week for TSN, I, I'm not super convinced on the back end for Montreal when I was looking kind of head to head with the defensive backfields I wrote an article this morning on who has the advantage in each positional group and I looked at 
Like Jamal Roll, I think, is an absolute stud. I've thought that since before, like Delvin Bro was around. It was just like, you got to get Roll closer to the ball. It's a travesty he's over in the field corner spot. So he comes over and plays the boundary. Carrier Brooks is one of the most physical boundary halfbacks that you have in the whole CFL. Tunde Delicate lurking down near the box. And then on the field side, you got Seante Evans and Richard Leonard doing their thing and holding it down. And then I looked at Montreal and I'm like, yeah, Wesley Sutton makes plays. Like Marc Antoine Ducroix is like freaky, athletic, and rangy sideline to sideline. I'm like, other than that, like I don't, I'm not a huge fan of what they do on the back end. And think back as well, the game in which Edmonton stormed back in Montreal to win this year early in the season. So much of that was on Alouette's defensive backs not playing the ball well in the air. So if you want to take deep shots, I, I, and I hate to rely on the old thing of like, hey, if you throw a deep, then maybe the best thing that can happen is you get a defensive pass interference call. But the reality <laughs> is those are big chunks of yardage. Sure. And it, I, like they're going to be scared of Tim White, and they're going to want to be bailing out as well. So maybe they play off that and go consistent underneath and short. But uh, yeah, I think going vertical and testing them with Dunbar and White is, is a huge advantage for Hamilton. Because Tim White as well, when I was looking at it this morning, in the most recent two games against Montreal – he has a combined 17 catches for 250 yards. <laughs> like, like that's averaging eight and a half catches and 125 yards a game. If you get that, that will offset the greatness of Geno Lewis. And if you're looking at a tit-for-tat matchup, like, if you get eight and a half catches for 125 yards and a touchdown, you can basically nullify that. And then if you win in other places, then you have a real chance to win the game. So, yeah, I do like the vertical passing attack, and I love everything that Tim White is about. Ever since I, I learned that his nickname was Cheetah and that he walks on his toes because of his triple jump background, I, <laughs> fell, I fell in love with him last year. I thought he was amazing. He's so athletic. Hey, hey, Bubba, just yeah. just let, let me add to what Marshall said there. And yeah. 100% right, Marshall, with Tim White. And that he had 145 yards receiving in that game that Matt Schultz started. And that's the other thing that I've noticed about both Matt Schultz is he looks for that chemistry with a receiver and he'll go to him. We saw it a little bit in the, in the last game against Ottawa. That didn't mean much, but Terry Godwin, who was just in his second game and Matt Schultz really was, was keying on him because there was no Tim white. And you almost, it was fun to watch that game against Montreal with Schultz and white, because you almost knew that Schultz was looking for him every time and he was finding him. Montreal couldn't stop it. So yeah. that that chemistry, there's something about when Matt Schultz is in there that he seems to search for it, and when he finds it, he will target that receiver. And just to add to that, I think, that which can't be forgotten, I think this works to the benefit of both quarterbacks, is, uh, and we saw this, I guess, really the last third of the season. Um, the addition of Wes Hills at running back, RJ, has been just a – I mean – I. It makes me hard to believe that I can't remember a runner this style with the long legs and that big upper body. And the fact that he seems to initiate contact, spin, turn, always falling forward. There's something about his game at running back. And I, I love Don Jackson and, and John Thomas Erlington, but there seems to be a difference, which I think will benefit both quarterbacks with the addition of Wes Hills in the back in the backfield. Yeah, and I, I love talking to Wes, too, because he, he loves contact, and he doesn't believe one defender can bring him down. And and you kind of know that he will get minimum of a couple of yards. And and uh, he, he has been a big key. But I have to – the offensive line for the, the Tiger Cats, Brandon Revenberg, unsung hero every year, wins most outstanding offensive player every year for the Tiger Cats, and, and deservedly so. But ever since they've acquired David Beard, at center the run game has improved yep. they're not getting sacked yep. and with him in the lineup 
as the starting center, the Tiger Cats are five and one. And sometimes those offensive linemen don't get the the credit they deserve, but they never do. It's been huge. It's been huge adding David Beard to that offensive line at center. And you never see, you know, a a bobbled snap or a poor snap, everything stuff you don't think of in a game until it happens. And then it's, oh, boy, that was that was a bad snap by the center or a blown, uh, you know, defensive player got right through the line. You're not seeing that anymore ever since they've added David Beard. So um, yes, Wes Hills has been excellent, but the, the offensive line has really shored up since earlier in the season. Marsh. That's the, that's the weirdest trade of the year. I'm just going to say that first and foremost, like I have no idea what on earth Edmonton and Chris Jones was thinking by looking in all respect to Jesse Gibbon, but looking at David Beard and being like, yeah, we don't need that. It's like, sorry. Like, like you look across the CFL, it's like, no, you need that. Everybody needs that. Everybody Mm -hmm. wants that. So it was, that that was an unbelievable one. When I was talking to Derek Taylor from CJOB about that, like we're texting each other going, do you understand this? He's like, no. I'm like, is it a money thing? I'm like, I don't, I don't think so. I don't we, like, we couldn't make any sense of it. So Hamilton, that's a steal a hundred percent being able to get David Beard to RJ's point. But uh, yeah, West Hills, I actually think the running back conversation is the most difficult one to parse going into this East semi because Sean Thomas Erlington has forever played the role of underappreciated, underutilized Canadian. If you look at, um, you know, EPA, which is what all the analytics nerds love to use in terms of like what a player is actually giving their team per touch. Uh, he's always one of the highest in the league. Yep. And, and yet he doesn't get more touches. And I'm not saying he's going to go into Montreal and he's going to get you know, 20 carries or, but you'd love to see a little bit leaning that direction. But how do you give the ball to him when Hills is going the way that he is? And Don Jackson has the potential to be as explosive as he is and catch the ball in the backfield. I do know this that I think is kind of an interesting subcurrent that not a lot of people realize West Hills last year went on the injured list because early in the season, there was a crackback block on a special teams play where Montreal went low on him when he wasn't even looking. And Hamilton was pissed because they wanted to get West Hills on the field last year more consistently. And that threw his whole season out of sorts. What we're seeing now was supposed to be last year for Wes Hills on this roster. And that injury in Montreal basically nullified that. And so to see him going into Montreal, having a potential to carry the rock consistently and get after it and be physical and all these things we're talking about, I think there's a tremendous opportunity here for him to have a great game. But the reason I say this is the most difficult positional group to parse is because when Christophe Normand was released from the Alouettes, they stopped being a fullback-oriented team, which Trevor Harris has always found comfort in. To try and make up for that, they've gone with six offensive linemen at various times in Montreal. They've gone with a two-back set where they've rotated either Antwi, Fletcher, or now Standback in. They keep two of the three of them in. I think you're going to see a ton of two-back for Montreal this week. Anthony Calvillo is going to throw it back to the mid-2000s, and mm. I, think, I think they're just going to rotate those three guys, and they're going to use them in a bunch of weird and different ways. But in order for Montreal to have success in the running game, at some point, William Stanback has to look like William Stanback. And in, at this point in the season, Wes Hills looks more like William Stanback than William yeah. Stanback looks like William Stanback. And that's what I find to be interesting about this is, can Wes Hills be a singular dominant force when I think we're just going to get like six carries per guy from Montreal and they're going to spread the ball to all three of them? All right, guys, let's change gears and go from Hamilton to Van City. 
Uh, I think we were all watching. Uh, there was certainly uh, no bigger storyline in the Canadian Football League all season long than the emergence of Nathan Rourke, the refined rookie out of Victoria or Oakville, whoever you cheer for. And, <laughs> you know, that, that has been a point of contention this really year. Is. Who, who gets to claim the kid? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's been a fun one here. So I'll say uh, Oakville, Ontario, just because I did a high school football game. I visited play by play. So I'm claiming in Oakville. What are your thoughts about his return there, Dan? I mean, short little sample size. I'll have to use that phrase. And, you know, but due to that foot injury, will he, we talk about short leash, will he be on a short leash in the West semifinal against Calgary? Um, Yeah, I would think. I mean, he was on a, a one quarter, a first half leash. So I, you know what? I think what he'll bring to the Lions is much more than what he'll bring under center. I mean, he, he obviously the first, nine games of the season. I don't think there was a better quarterback period uh, in the league. Uh, I think he brings, a, a, he, he'll bring a lift to his, his offense. I mean, speaking with uh, Dominique Grimes last week and he just basically reiterated what uh, the, the other receivers felt is that you have your offensive leader back. You have a guy that, um, that you, you won with earlier in the year. Now, is he going to be a hundred percent? Probably not. But I would argue that I think 70% of Nathan Rourke is probably better than anything they have right now. They went four and four without him. Kudos. And I think I think Vernon Adams is a is a good guy to to have waiting in the wings. I just think that, you know, um the, the lift that that Rourke brings will will be interesting to watch going into the uh, going into the playoff game. And 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 you know, I keep saying everybody's on a short leash, but I think in the playoffs you have to be on a short leash because you don't have the you don't have the luxury of time because if um, if if Nathan struggles, then um, you can't afford to be down by seven or fourteen or even twenty-one before you make the change. So I think uh, uh, I think he'll give them a lift. I'm curious to watch to see how much of the Nathan work we saw this season is this the Nathan work we see this coming week. Incredible question there, RJ, that we asked there. You know, and but I, I'll throw that the same question. You know, the same angle to you on this you know, on this issue is. Is he your ride or die, Nathan Rourke, regardless if he starts off slow? I think he is, Bob. Uh, before he was hurt, was the best quarterback in the CFL. In my opinion, he was certainly the most exciting. Uh, the Lions were must-watch television when Nathan Rourke was at quarterback. It was it was thrilling football. And you look at the games last week, they didn't mean anything in the standings, but they actually meant a lot. And I'll, I'll go back to the Tiger Cats. If it was a game that the Tiger Cats had to win to make the playoffs, Tim White would have played. And Terry Godwin probably would not have started and certainly wouldn't have caught all the passes he's caught. Now it wouldn't surprise me going into the East Final if Terry Godwin is one of the starting receivers for the Tiger Cats after the game he had. I'm not saying he will be, but I wouldn't be surprised if he is. So that opportunity in a game that didn't mean much, gave Godwin a chance to be a starter in the East semifinal. For Nathan Rourke, if BC had to win that game and he wasn't 100%, would he have started? Maybe not. Maybe he wouldn't have played or played as much as he did anyway in that game. But he got in there. He's got a chance this week to see how the foot responds to, to game action. He'll get treatment. They'll do what they need to do to get him ready for that football game. And I agree with Dan. If He's not 100%, and it's unlikely that he is. He is still BC's best chance to win that football game against Calgary. So I'm all in on Nathan Rourke. 
Marshall, that foot, that list, Frank injury, a lot of people don't really know about it. They mean how that it is a critical, critical injury or at least recovery too for especially the quarterback position. Yeah. And it, because it's his right foot, just in terms of body mechanics, like that's his plant foot. Right. So he has, he, he was talking uh, in his postgame scrum on Friday night, which by the way, I, I just want to say off the top, I was so happy watching him warm up and play football and take hits and bounce up and keep laughing. Although Jake Thomas, please help your fellow. Yeah. Canadian yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are we doing? Jake Thomas. I immediately, as I was watching that, I was like classic Acadia that I'm like, no, that's not right. Because Jake Thomas is one of the nicest people in Acadia. People are unbelievable as we know from touchdown Atlantic. So I was like, I don't know what that was. That was, I don't, that was a, a, a message handed down from O'Shea. Maybe of don't be nice to the kid. We probably get him in a couple of weeks. So um, I, uh, I just, I look at this, as that back foot you have to be able to plant and rotate on especially when you're you're in the gun and the pressure's on you got to catch it and go rapid fire three plant and have confidence that you can drive off of that back foot and and he essentially said in his postgame scrum on Friday that he he knows that his body can take it he just has to build that trust in his own body in his foot so that he can drive twist and accelerate the football out of his hand knowing that he's not going to hit that back foot and feel weak uh, but that does take reps and it takes a little bit of time. The The biggest takeaway for me, I think from Friday night of watching him was they are absolutely going to ride him. Like it's, they're not going to, if he's incomplete on, you know, six of 12 passes in the first quarter, he's staying in because mm-hmm. that dude is the truth. When he is on, he is, he is just unbelievable as we all know. But um, you know, even deep ball completion percentage to Dominique Grimes, he was completing 64% of passes throughout the year on passes of 20 yards or more. With Vernon Adams Jr. as the starter, that number dropped by 20%. Wow. It, it became 44% completion rate on passes of 20 yards or more, which opens up the BC offense because you get Rhymes going vertical, you get Lucky Whitehead on crossers, you get Burnham in the intermediate, you get Hatcher wherever he can find his spots. Uh, so that's a huge, huge difference maker. And he missed those two deep throws in the game in Winnipeg this past Friday. And to me, when I watched them back closely, one of them was a lack of trust, and the other was he just he didn't put the ball out far enough. Like, physically, it looked as though it came out weak, but I don't think it was the injury. I think it was him trying to recalibrate his his timing. And also, I'll say this, Winnipeg did not make that easy on him to figure that out because they Richie Hall heated him up pretty consistently, and you could tell that it was Richie in that Winnipeg defense saying, let's see if your brain matches your feet. Let's see if your arm can get the ball out as quickly as it did processing pre-snap in the regular season before he got hurt. And the answer for the most part was, I guess, kind of, it was like 70% of the norm, but it really wasn't the full version of him. Can he get on the same page with a dinged lucky whitehead, Brian Burnham coming off of his injury, quickly accelerating the ball out of his hand, trusting his foot. That's a lot to ask from a dude who's in his first full season starting but I have no reason to doubt that work can do incredible things on short order because we happen to have proof that he did that earlier this year. He really did. I mean, and really set the standard, I thought, for, you know, quarterbacking, I think, in this league for not just a Canadian. I won't even say that. I mean, his ability to throw the ball at different spots of the field, the timing. Um, I, I, I think we've all seen quarterbacks with better velocity, but it seems to be hard enough when it needs to be hard enough there Dan I mean the guy is something special oh there's no doubt and um and I think you know um the first nine games of the season we saw a you know outside of one game against Winnipeg and that's two now that he's he sort of had a bit of a glitch against the bomber so we'll see if they get to the 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 um the west final the thing that's going to intrigue the heck out of me this weekend is 
Um, we, we're spending a lot of time talking about Nathan and justifiably so, but I'm really worried about the BC Lions run defense against that Calgary Stampeder offense. I, I just, that, you know, I'm holding my breath. I mean, they, they, they've got Kadeem Carey, they've got, you know, Peyton Logan, all these guys. And we, you know, if they are able to establish the run <clears throat> and Marshall can attest to this, two things happen. One, you control the ball and you keep the ball out of Nathan York's hands and B, you, you steadily, you know, wear a defense down. So, I mean, I think I, I'm looking forward to seeing Nathan getting back to as close to hundred percent as we can, but boy, oh boy, that defense is going to have to step up uh, in my humble opinion to, um, to give him the opportunities that he's going to need to go downfield. Let's go from a rookie quarterback to the veteran quarterback. And I, and I don't know about you guys, I, not to wax poetic about old feelings and that kind of stuff, but I loved seeing Bo Levi Mitchell on the field for if that's the last time with Calgary or, or not. Um, I, from his post-game comments, guys, I, I, it appeared to me that this guy is going to play in 2013 and he's not going to retire. He's not going to be on the TSN panel quite, quite yet. Marshall, it's not going to be the Stampeders. Uh, they've moved on. What's his best situation or elsewhere around the league to be a starting quarterback? It was surreal to see him waving goodbye at McMahon in a year where he became the Stampeders all-time leading passer in yardage. Like that was the biggest thing to me was I felt like I was living in an alternate universe where there was like five years of separation where it's like, wow, he's really dropped off a cliff in these last three years. And it was like, no, that was, that was two months ago that he became, and he was like being celebrated at McMahon. Like you're the guy, just kidding. You have to go sit on the sidelines now. So, uh, I mean, things happen fast in the CFL as we know, and, and quarterback transitions can happen really quickly, but I I was actually sad, uh, to be honest with you, watching that video of him waving goodbye and even doing my game tracking where I'm going through Calgary, Saskatchewan, and I uh, I like copy and paste, you know, from the game file, number 19, and then I write out his name, Mitchell, Bo Levi, and I copied and pasted, it was like six snaps, and I'm like, oh my God, that's the last time I get to put like Bo Levi Mitchell in Calgary in those red and white letters attaching him to, you know, I, I thought <laughs> maybe selfishly ego, but I was like, how many snaps have I done of this guy with this team where I've like assessed yeah. where he's at with this offense and it's, it's over. It looks like unless something happens to Mayor. So his best chance to play. I know Saskatchewan is the one that everybody wants to talk about. I don't think Bo wants to go to Saskatchewan. I'm just going to be honest. Like, and I don't know that I haven't talked to him about that. Please. If you're in Saskatchewan, you're a Riders fan. Don't kill me for that. It's just you, you, you guys, you guys in Saskatchewan that are listening to this, you have actively made that man's life or attempted to hell for a decade. Mm -hmm. If somebody tries to make my life hell for a decade, I'm not going to go try to help them win a great cup. That's just, I don't know that maybe that, I'm too proud of a person. You know what though, Marshall, we saw, we saw Brett, I know it's a different league, but same Minnesota, mindset. Yes. We saw him go from green Bay to Minnesota. Yeah. That, that's, that's all wrong. And actually he actually had his best statistical season as a member of the Vikings. But I would argue that that is a man with no morals who will take money doing anything as we've learned this year. <laughs> so if you're going to steal from a welfare program, you might as well steal from the Vikings would, would be my, would be my assessment of that situation. But uh, either that or copper tone or whatever the heck he was putting on his elbows to try and make his career last longer. But uh, I, I look at, at Bo's opportunities and yeah they're limited in the CFL like you got Zach locked up you got Cornelius is in Edmonton and I don't think Bo necessarily would go and play 
for the team up the road in Alberta, BC, depending on what happens with work, VA is already there. And you would have to think that if work got an NFL shot, that there would be a VA extension that would be coming because they'd want to build around that, especially the way he throws vertical with rhymes there and Burnham and Whitehead. So then you start looking at the East and then you're like, well, could it be Ottawa? Like, is, is that, are they locked in on our buckle? I don't think so. At this point, have they made a commitment to Evans or Tyree Adams? No. So that that's one of the few chairs that could actually move in this game. And I don't know if that's Jeremiah like, won't be happy about well, that. I, well, that's true. Yeah. So Jeremiah is there, but I'm thinking more in terms of like, if there were interest from a franchise, would Sean Burke be dedicated to Jeremiah at this point, give him another year, given the circumstances, or would you be looking to create a one-two punch where Bo comes in under the role of him and was slowly getting split? Like, I don't know. There's there's not really a pure natural landing spot other than Saskatchewan, which is why this becomes so difficult to me. I don't know if you guys see a more natural landing spot. Yeah, I, I, would, I would agree with that, Marshall. And, and what you said about Saskatchewan, it probably wouldn't be the team that Bo Levi Mitchell would be, I'm dying to go play for the Rough Riders because right. he's had so many battles against them. But... We know in sports that money talks, and if that's the best contract and he can mm-hmm. revive his career and get a few more seasons, I think he would go there. Edmonton, who knows what, what Chris Jones is going to do. I, he spoke recently, and it sounded like it's going to be another tough season for Edmonton, if you read between the lines a little bit. And and the Nathan Rourke in BC, that's a big one, because if he gets an NFL shot, and he might, they'll be... Is Vernon Adams the guy, or do you bring in Bo Levi Mitchell? And I went through the East Division teams, and and really, he may have to take a, a backup job initially going in, which, again, seems a, a little odd for Bo Levi Mitchell. The one that I'm going to throw out, just more so for um, getting fans in the seats, is Toronto. Oh, now, no doubt, no doubt. Oh, to, to bring no in a name doubt. like Bo Levi Mitchell, they could probably market him quite a bit. And McLeod Bethel Thompson has done a good job for the Argos. Who knows what happens at the end of this season with, with Toronto if he leads them to, to a great cup? Maybe it's a different story. But as far as Toronto is concerned, they have to be kicking some tires around Bo Levi Mitchell, I would assume. Dan, the only reason why I react the way I did is because there, there seems to be this growing love affair or I, I know there's a big divide too but the 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 Macbeth fans the McLeod Bethel Thompson fans are, are are screaming right now that he deserves more respect and a move like that certainly doesn't show a lot of respect if they were to go out there and and, and uh, court this fella who's the head coach in Toronto yeah, it's the Calgary stuff. I know. Oh. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, and and, and they, who 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 courted Nick Arbuckle out of Calgary? Yep. No, I, I mean, trust me. I think um, Mc, I'll go on record. McLeod Bethel Thompson got my vote for outstanding player in these. If and no if and or buts. Um, I just think it's a quarterback driven league, and he deserved it. But. Having said all that, four years ago when, when Bo was signing that mega deal with Calgary, what team was the team that apparently was on the cusp of getting him before Calgary? And and the rumor was that Toronto threw more money at him. So I, I think um, if there is a team, and I, I, I say this without any prior knowledge, um, what team four years ago was on the cusp of getting or really made a, a play, a hard play to get him? That was Toronto. And then since then, you know, you've got the former quarterback coach in Calgary in Toronto and you've got, you know, 
Toronto becoming Calgary East uh, with um, with a number of the players it has or it had. Um, I, I I I would not be the least bit surprised to see Toronto in the Bo Levi Mitchell sweepstakes. I have I have two quick thoughts on that. One is. Four years ago was Bo Levi Mitchell at apparently the height of his powers going to all those great cups, 16, 17, 18. And that might be different than the way it looks now. The second one, though, is if Toronto is willing to part ways and jump ship on what they have created and what they've been working towards in the hopes that Bo Levi Mitchell would somehow make them a better team, which I'm not saying that they wouldn't. But if, if they're mm-hmm. willing to do that, then why is Masoli sacred in Ottawa? Why is Dane Evans sacred in Hamilton? Why is Trevor Harris sacred? Like, if you're going to do that and you're jumping for the name brand notoriety in the Hall of Famer and the winning percentage and all the rest, if McLeod Bethel Thompson's on the table and he's got Dan's MOP vote in the East, why is anybody being held in the East Division as you can't put them there? Because if if McLeod's in that conversation, everybody should be in that conversation. Agreed. Yeah. And team should require. And like I said, I'm not not saying it with any prior knowledge. To me, if you're looking for an East team that might make sense, to me, Toronto might make sense. Right. RJ, I, I hate to say this about the Mike because I, I love Dane Evans a lot, but there was a time this year, uh, turnover issues, um, and, you know, the, the high-priced quarterback guy, and, and fans weren't happy. And I don't, I don't know, like maybe is Hamilton not a place? Maybe the Bowley, I mean, who knows? In this yeah. league, who knows? Yeah, I, I, exactly. You're exactly right, Bubba. Who knows? And I, I don't think teams would be doing their due diligence if they didn't inquire on the possibility of acquiring Bo Levi Mitchell and and finding out how healthy he is. There'll be interest for sure. And it, it may be going into camp where he's competing. And it, you talk about the Tiger Cats fans. When Vernon Adams got traded to BC, that was kind of when Dane Evans had been struggling a little bit. And there were a lot of fans saying, well, why didn't the Tiger Cats get Vernon Adams? Yeah, and and that came up a few times. Bowley by Mitchell's name has come up a few times when Jake Mayer took over as, as the starting quarterback in Calgary. I, I think you have to inquire. And if you, you bring in a, a future Hall of Famer like that and he's got some magic still left, He's going to help a football team. Um, I I just think that Toronto trying to get fans, you can't get a bigger name in the in the CFL than bringing in Bowley by Mitchell, and it's it's about marketing too. And you want to sell tickets, and he would definitely sell some tickets. Dan knows this too. It would be the most CFL thing ever <laughs> to have to have the Tiger Cats not win in Calgary since the invention of Facebook, and then. <laughs> And and then to have the quarterback who led them to the victory in Calgary that finally broke that incomprehensible streak of losing in that spot get ditched for the quarterback who was the backup in that day in Calgary who comes over and becomes the starter. It's like, again, when it's a 19 league, you're going to have all these things, but the interactions and the connection points between these big names and the most important position on the field and having nine teams it's always going to be weird. And let's be real about this too. It's always going to feel personal and it's not just Hamilton. It's like if anybody in the East gets bumped or gets challenged or they bring uh Boldy Valle Mitchell in his competition, it's going to feel personal. Like people yeah. are going to be upset about that because you're not going to bring in Bo with the expectation that he's going to stand there quietly on the sidelines, the way that he has in the second half of this year for Calgary. That's the Johnny Manziel feeling, right? Yeah. Yeah. A little bit, but I think the difference there is that Johnny felt like, 
a circus threat where it was like, I don't really know what's over my shoulder. It's just kind of scary because it comes with a lot of noise, whereas Bo comes with pedigree. And that's that's where it becomes not necessarily scary as a starter because, like, all of the guys that we're talking about, whether it's Masoli, Dane, Trevor Harris, McLeod Bethel-Thompson, they've been through battles. Hell, McLeod's been everywhere and back to go through quarterback battles. It's part of the job. I remember doing radio in Hamilton, sitting down with Zach Kalaros and telling him the day that we had reported that negotiation list, Johnny Manziel was on it. We went to commercial break and I said, Oh, I just saw a headline about Johnny's on the negotiation list. I think like Eric Tillman had put it out or something. And Zach goes, I don't give a damn. Let him come to camp. I'll beat the hell out of him. Mm-hmm. Like Zach was like, that's, that's my job is that you show up. I do my job better than you. Yep. You leave. That's how this works. So all of those starting quarterbacks would have that mentality but man, does Bo ever carry this gravitas about him of like, I've seen every, it's kind of like, not necessarily the Brady stuff, but I've seen every defense. I know every yeah. coordinator. I know what they're giving me. I give you a chance to win every football game. And to your point, Bubba, about Hamilton being frustrated with Dane Evans and the turnovers this year, I was there for TSN calling the game where Peters had the three interceptions on Dane and it was, he just was not seeing it at, at all. Whoa. And then two weeks later, I'm calling Calgary in Toronto. Guess who wasn't seeing it? at all and got pulled at halftime and did not become the starter once again. Bo Levi Mitchell against that Toronto defense that has now won the East Division in the regular season. All right, guys. Um, I think with the exception of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, uh, every single team have had these ups and downs. And I mean, now that the regular season is complete, RJ, what's been the best surprise for you and the biggest disappointment league-wide? I mean, league-wide's here for you guys. Oh, wow. Um, the biggest surprise. This is Bubba's trick or treat question, yeah. by the way. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Just let me go through a whole season in a second in my mind here. Well, it should stay, one should stick out, I would think. Well, I, I would I would say Nathan Rourke. It's unfortunate he got hurt. Uh, I, I never missed a BC game when he was a quarterback. That, that was really, really exciting. I also think you know sports is there's it's the original reality television and we're on the tie cats audio network right now hamilton season losing the first four games all kinds of injuries uh, a, a real roller coaster we talked about dane evans some of the fans would have loved to have get gotten rid of him and he's redeemed himself and probably will be the starter in the east semifinal and and for them to put things together late in the season and make the playoffs. That's been, been so exciting. Um, I would say Saskatchewan is probably the biggest disappointment and, and I'm from Saskatchewan. I think you all know that. And, uh, and being the host of a gray cup, we saw it last year with Hamilton in a, in really a COVID season, but there was pressure on the team. When you're hosting, you want to be in that game and Hamilton, they had ups and downs last season too, but they made it to the gray cup and for Saskatchewan to not even make the playoffs you know, it hurts my heart a little bit because they mean so much to the province of Saskatchewan, the Rough Riders do, and for them to have the finish that they had losing their last seven games and after a four and one start going two and 11, it's, that's a, that's a disappointment for me. Dan, to you. Um, I would say Nathan Moore could probably be a, a surprise, um, a positive surprise. A negative surprise, I would agree with RJ. I think um, after watching Saskatchewan go to the last two West Division finals, to see that team fall off as quickly as it did, 
and as tragically as it did, I mean, you know, the, I, I still, I'm still trying to fathom how you make a quarterback change late in the year with you need two wins and you go to a guy that is unproven um, that I don't understand. And I'm also surprised. I'm, I, I had Hamilton winning the East going away. I really did. And um, to see them, you know, make the playoffs, but as a, as a number three seed with the record that they have, that, that, that surprised me a lot too. Marshall, do you? I would say positive surprises for me, a couple that come to mind just in this game on Sunday in Montreal is Javon Santos Knox, I think has had an incredible season and, uh, and there's a lot of good middle linebackers across this league. And he's been in the conversation as the best, uh, and no matter what you're looking at, whether it's Darnell Sankey in Saskatchewan, who's had a fantastic year. It's like near the franchise you know, record for tackles and all the rest. Um, Jameer Thurman has been incredible in Calgary. Jordan Williams is doing his thing in BC. Michael Awe has fit in nicely with Montreal, but Santos Knox is right there with everybody. This one might it might not necessarily be a surprise, but I think I'm still surprised by his greatness. Gino Lewis has been an absolute freak really? this year. Like, and I expected him to have a very good season and and to put up statistics and have some touchdowns and all the rest. But to do double digit touchdowns, to be as dominant as he's been down the field, when Trevor's your quarterback, and maybe that's part of the surprises that I, I think of Trevor Harris as crosser, uh, crossing routes, checkdowns, quick outs. Um, and getting the ball out of his hand quickly, when you have a vertical receiver, the likes of Gino Lewis, and you have an intermediate guy like Jake Winicky, I thought Winicky would have had better numbers with Trevor mm -hmm. as a starter over the entirety of a year than Gino would. But that Montreal offense has essentially become Trevor's going to do Trevor stuff. And then two or three times a game, we're just going to chuck it up to Gino and see what happens. And two or three times a game, Gino makes a play that makes you go, okay, that's a cheat code. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Uh, and so I've really enjoyed watching him take his play to another level when we know they want to take those two or three shots a game to him. And Mark Washington is going to have a game plan for that this week. And I still don't know if you can stop it. Like, that's just kind of where he's at at this point. Uh, I would say in terms of disappointments, just to bounce around the three non-playoff teams, Cody Fajardo's deep ball process, I don't care what the numbers say on completion percentage on 20 plus, 30 plus yards in the air the process, the way that he read, the way he got through, the way he was able to get some of those completions was atrocious. It was really, and this is the year after he said, give me the deep ball receivers. Okay. Okay. You get Duke Williams. Fine. It didn't make a difference. Like it, it was still, the process was not there. Edmonton, that run defense, like, that was shocking to me that Chris Jones comes in, acquires a bunch of personnel, drafts people that he wants to put in positions and they can't they couldn't stop anybody. They were giving up huge numbers on the ground the entire year. It wasn't just first half, second half, chunk near Labor Day, end of the season. It was the whole season. And then for me, uh, my heart just hurts for Ottawa football fans because I, I kind of made the joke this year that uh, I got so many Ottawa home games for TSN on my schedule this year that I said I was you the poor nat guy. I you said I was poor. well. Well, this is the thing that I I started internally joking with our TSN employees that I was the national television voice of the Ottawa Red Blacks because I felt like I was stalking them and just running around the country after them. I called a lot of Ottawa games in which they had an opportunity to win in the fourth quarter and they just could not figure out a way to end that home losing streak and. That's really disappointing to me because we saw the crowds in Edmonton. We saw the crowds in Saskatchewan. We see the way those franchises talk about their teams when they're down and out like they have been this year. In Ottawa, they friggin' love the Red Blacks. And it's like, 
it's a relationship with that team where they love them so much that they just long for them to figure it out and they're willing to give them the patience to get it done. And they did that the entire year and they never got rewarded by leaving with a victory. And to me, that's that's just so unfair for such a great fan base that I've enjoyed calling games in that stadium with where <laughs> every game we're pulling up the graphic of, hey, it's been a billion days since they've won at home. And I just feel bad for those people because they continue to give their money, their time, their energy, their passion to that team. And hopefully it'll pay off sooner rather than later. I guess I'll just throw in quickly here. I think we're, we're, we're all around uh, unanimous that Nathan Rourke was probably the, the best surprise of the year. I don't think any of us saw him doing what he did, at least for those first part of the season when, until he got hurt. Uh, I, I will say I will throw in Dalton Schoen. I was going to. Yeah. I was going to yeah. mention. Yeah. My Nobody saw surprise. that coming. Well, it's yeah. just. I mean, I, I did. I, I mean, it's. We shouldn't be surprised because Winnipeg's ability to plug and play. It, no, it, no one does it better. Um, but I mean, he just stands out as a rookie receiver doing what he did. And and you know, I need to get you know Marshall Ferguson technical, whether it's short, intermediate, long, uh, go up and get it. The guy is unbelievable and. Boy, I, I, if I'm the National Football League, I know we're talking about work. I'm having a look at this kid, too, because uh, this guy's a, a special guy. And the biggest disappointment to, the, to me, aligning with Marshall here, but in a different city, is Edmonton. Um, you know, I'm an old man now, and we, I go back to the days of Edmonton being the city of champions. And, and to see that team cannot win a game at home. I mean, we're going on three years now? Three seasons, sorry? Like, that... that I, amazing to me and to see the dwindling fan base and you know they went out and made the name change and again i guess maybe we shouldn't be knocking other franchises on the Cat audio network but i think the wins and losses speak for themselves and you got a, a guy like chris jones that maybe he's going to turn things around but boy the fact that they can't win a game at home and give their fans something to go home and be happy about is shocking to me i i'll say this just quickly about edmonton something that I think Chris Jones took a lot of flack for as he did a lot of different things this year was the end of season where he did the radio interview and said, you know, the football operations cap really hamstrung us and we weren't able to have people on part of the reason for the, a big reason for the football operations cap was Chris Jones. Because when he was in Saskatchewan, they had a coach who was on the staff that was listed as a defense defensive yeah. pursuit angle coach. Yeah. And it was just like, he was hiring his dudes from back home to just do stuff and be on staff. And I remember coach Sal uh, talking to me one time before a Riders game where uh, we, we were actually talking with uh, Mark Mueller's dad, who's the spotter for TSN out in Saskatchewan. And he said, uh, you know, like Jones has got a whole bunch of people from back home and he's got them on staff. And he's and Coach Sal just said, if this league has any financial trouble down the road, it's because of that model. They realized that. They put that in. Now, that being the caveat, you also ended up having – a year where you pay Scott Milanovic a heck of a lot of money, doesn't coach for you because of the COVID season, then he leaves. You end up having the Jason Moss farm where you got to pay him out. That goes against your, your football operations cap. You end up getting rid of Brock Sunderland, Jamie Elizondo. That goes against your football operations salary cap. Like what he said was not a lie, but it's kind of ironic that the, yeah, dude, the, dude, that was, the dude that was yeah. the reason the football ops cap came in is like, hey, you know, we're really not in a good position right now. It's like, well, you signed up with this team <laughs> knowing what the football ops cap was going to be. So yeah. that's convenient but you created the monster for which is now attacking you. Uh, so Smart. As a coach, keep expectations low. When do coaches get fired? When the expectations are high and you don't meet them. So yeah. he, he's he's put them at the bottom of the, the barrel, the expectations going into next season. So he can only 
be praised if the if the Elks are able to be a better team next season. I thought you were going to say he can only sign Bo Levi Mitchell from here. <laughs> well, that would be a story, and I, I wouldn't doubt they'll look into it. But Bo Levi Mitchell going from Calgary to Edmonton, but money talks in pro sports. All right, guys. Last question here. Uh, thanks for participating on my little fun, my fun little uh, off-speed pitch there. So th- thank you for that one. There. <laughs> hey, uh, your division semifinal winners are Dan Ralph, and a, a quick reason why you picked each team. Um, I don't know. I I kind of like the road teams this weekend. I'll I'll take I'll take Hamilton to win in, in Montreal because I'm I'm not sold on the Alouettes just yet. Um. You know, and I just, I think uh, that this, you know, I mean, I don't like Hamilton's road record, but I think winning in Calgary when you absolutely positively, unequivocally had to, to me shows that they can win. They can win in a hostile environment. And um, I just, you know, I, I just think that there's something about Montreal that brings out the best in the Ticats. And I'm not sure about Montreal at home. Out east, again, or out west, rather, like I said, I, I'm really, I, I love Nathan Rourke. I love the story. I like the fact that Brian Burnham is supposed to come back and, and the gang is back at the receiving core, but I still think Calgary has the ability to run the ball. And if uh, and if Jake Meyer can run and throw, I give them better than a, a puncher's chance. So I'll go with the two road teams this weekend. Marshall, you've called games for all four of these teams. Your thoughts? Uh, Hamilton because I believe Dane Evans, despite the struggles of this season, is a true gamer. I, I think mm-hmm. when it is on the line and you need it, that guy can go and get it for you at various points. Trevor Harris, I feel like in this game, honestly, could go 40 of 42 with two drops and they could still lose. Like, it's, what he does, it's what he does against Hamilton. And it's what he does in the Eastern semifinal. If you go back to yeah. 2018 against Hamilton, crazy high completion percentage. He has like whatever many touchdowns, but those throws were all near the line of scrimmage. Yeah. Was it six Dan? Yeah. So he has six touchdown passes, but if you look at yards in air versus yards after catch, it was all after the catch. It mm-hmm. was all guys running away, long touchdowns. Then you go into the 2019 East semifinal. He goes into Montreal as a member of Edmonton, does the same thing, three incompletions, whatever it was. He can complete every single pass and still throw for 200 yards. Like yeah. depending on what the tackle and the rallying is of this Hamilton defense. And the two things I'll say about that in the East is, Javon Santos Knox was a member of that Edmonton team. He's had a sensational year. I mentioned he went in as a member of the crossover Edmonton team into Montreal in 2019 and helped them get a win in Montreal in the playoffs in the Eastern semifinal. So he's been in that environment before he knows it. Dane Evans has gone head to head with Trevor Harris in the 2019 Eastern final, albeit in Hamilton. He went head to head against him and a couple of explosive plays down the field was the difference to get Hamilton into the great cup. So for those two, your middle linebacker, your quarterback, they have that experience in the West, I love Nathan Rourke like he's my son. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pick against Nathan Rourke. I don't give a damn who's on the other side. <laughs> RJ, is it yeah, that cut? Well, is it that cut and simple for you, RJ? <laughs> well, you know, I want to. I think we're gonna have some great games. First of all, they're gonna be great semifinals. Hamilton finished two points fewer than Montreal in the standings. All the games head to head were decided by one score. In that first game, Hamilton won by seven. And think back, that's when Trevor Harris on the last drive of the game looked Not fantastic. Dead. And he was hit by Stavros Katsantonis. It was a, a roughing the passer penalty. And at the time, it looked like, oh, oh, Tiger Cats are going to blow another one late. The injury spotter 
pulled Trevor Harris out, and Dominic Davis came in, who had thrown two passes to that <laughs> point in the season and wound up on the last play of the game throwing an interception to Cam Kelly. So that one, you know, it was, it was Montreal had all the momentum, but Hamilton won that game. And then the ga second game with Matt Schultz at quarterback, Hamilton led by two, and then David Cote, last play of the game, hit a 48-yard field goal. That's not a gimme. And, and, and so and Montreal sorry, wins by a point. And sorry, RJ, wasn't that just before Seth Small hit a like a career-long yes. 55-yard <laughs> field goal? Like in the last, the last 96, the nine, the last 96, 95 seconds were were insane. Yeah, yeah. And then the final meeting, Montreal won by seven. Hamilton was moving the ball, and Keandre Smith who hasn't had many opportunities since this oh, play, yes. made a catch, and he really tried to extend it, wound up fumbling on the Montreal 34-yard line, and Montreal recovered and was able to, to run the clock out. So all very exciting games that went right down to the end, and I do think Hamilton's in a good spot right now. They don't have the, you know, y'all want to, every team wants to finish in first place and get that by, but you'd also like to be the hottest team going into the playoffs, and there's no doubt the Tiger Cats are that with, four victories. So I like them beating Montreal. In fact, they beat every playoff team in the CFL this season, except for BC. They only played them once. They lost by five. It was probably Nathan Rourke's most unentertaining game of the season. Yes. It was 17-12 game. It wasn't a lot going on for either team in that football game. But Dan brought up a good point earlier about the run defense. Calgary's running game against Hamilton, who had the best run defense. It was really the only time this season that that run defense looked ordinary for the Tiger Cats. So BC will have to be good. But that with those receivers and Nathan Rourke, I, I really like BC in that game. So my picks are Hamilton and BC. All right. You changed my mind. <laughs> <laughs> that easy, eh, Dan? I can be bought. <laughs> I, I have to admit, Dan looked like he was waffling a little bit there. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm, I think we we agree on the East, the West. Eh, you know, I mean, I, I trust me, I, I, I'm with Marshall. I hate picking against Nathan because you know what, he's gonna hear this and he's gonna send it to me and go, yeah, well, you, you know, you know why I feel so confident about Nathan. Just I'll say on the way out here is that his post game press conference in a game in which he did not play like himself. Before he said anything, the cameras turned on. I saw the raw version of it. The cameras turned on, and he was smiling at all of the media. And there was a <laughs> confidence exuding from Nathan. I'm like, I'm like, oh hell, the the devil inside of that dude that makes him great, yeah, is is like kind of hidden, and he's like really trying not to let it out. So he's like, yeah, you know, I'm just happy to be back, and it's nice to be on the field again. And then you can tell that dog in the inside of Nathan work yeah. is like. I am going to throw for 600 yards and five touchdowns next <laughs> yeah. week. You can tell that's his mentality. So could very well be. Well, yeah, you know what? what I mean. it, it, it's interesting as a, a, a journalist over here, and then we got three broadcasters. What he did to Farhan Laundry in the halftime interview, kind of say, "How was the foot?" Well, how do you think I play? How do you think how my foot look? I mean, how he turned that around back into Farhan's face was just magical. And really, as a broadcaster, you're like, um, a, uh, e, um, uh, uh. <laughs> like it really. You was. don't expect it. No, there is there is a certain confidence about his, his approach, and uh, boy, it really does look like the guys really love him, and it looked like he was certainly happy to be back. Uh, guys, all of you guys are returners to the podcast. Uh, I'm really appreciative that you guys have come back and uh, give us your expertise, your opinions, some of them controversial, which I know our podcast listeners really, really love, and uh, certainly thank you so much 
for uh, for your participation. So thank you for joining us. And um, uh, RJ, as I always say, uh, where can we find you if our annoyed fans want to speak to you? And of course, the fans, <laughs> and of course, the fans that want to you know pat you on the back. Yeah, the annoyed fans can't find me. Uh, the ones, uh, <laughs> the ones who want a pat on the back, I'll be on the Ticats Audio Network. Uh, Luke Tasker and I on Friday will get together for Ticats this week, and and we'll set up the the East semifinal on Sunday. And of course, Luke and I'll have the the call for the East semifinal with the Tiger Cats in Montreal. And if the previous matchups are any indication, you don't want to miss it. It'll be exciting. Uh, Marshall, the fine fans from Regina, um, they're looking for your, uh, I guess, Twitter address. They, um, they have some words for you. Yeah, here, my phone number actually is 905. Uh, uh, I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm at TSN underscore Marsh is where you can find me. Uh, most people will be happy to know I'm done doing TSN games for the year. Uh, but but I will be calling uh, the Yates Cup, which I'm very excited about coming up in a couple of weeks here. And I've got playoff coverage at cfl.ca uh, from now all the way through until uh, Grey Cup Monday, I guess. This is when we'll be having our final analysis of whatever goes down in the big show in about three weeks. Nathan Rourke just give me a text here, Dan, uh, looking for some support for his fan club. Uh, Marshall Ferguson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that domain has been taken. I'm sorry. That's... <laughs> How do we contact you there, Dan? Thank you. Uh, at, at, uh, at Dan Ralph CP on Twitter. All right, fellas. Thanks so much. Here. Thanks, folks, folks, again, we all kinds of cat coverage for the Tiger Cats game leading up to the big game on Sunday content all week. RJ will be working very, very hard for his paycheck this week. I can guarantee you that. Hey, again, thank you so much for joining us, folks. This is the CFL This Week. You know where to find us on all your favorite podcast catcher, YouTube, like, subscribe. Uh, tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. It's what we love to do, and that's talk three down football here on the Ticats Audio Network. This has been the CFL This Week. I'm Bubba O'Neill. We'll see you next week. The CFL This Week with Bubba O'Neill. Subscribe, like, and get the deepest takes on Canada's game every Monday.